Hello, good morning, everybody. It's good to be in Medina, and a nice warm hello to all of you out there in, I guess, webcast land. Uh, I don't know who all is going to be be watching us today, probably all over the world, um, but welcome. You're in good company because we're all uh, swimming upstream here, so to speak. Brethren, I want to talk to you today about a subject that is very personal to me, and I hope it's very personal to you as well. It's a subject that sometimes is not very easy to talk about. Um, there's a lot of things out there that are said about us as an organization, us as people, uh, that's not quite true. A lot of slander. A lot of hateful words. A lot of misunderstandings. Misrepresentations of the truth. A pejorative, if you will. I've entitled today's sermon, Cult, a pejorative label. And if you would please turn with me to the book of Colossians in chapter 1, and verse, let's see what we're going to go through here, 15 through 19. I'm not going to read through this yet, just quite yet, but I want you to be prepared, because this sets up a premise that I think we all should remember, something we all should keep in mind. The reason why this sermon is so personal is because many of you may not know that over the past couple years I have suffered a great deal of, of persecution, a great deal of things that have been said that aren't true. Did you know that I'm a cult leader? Have you heard that yet? I'm a cult leader. Not only am I a cult leader according to some, but I am a high-ranking, how was this put, regional director in a cult called the Church of God International. Now, first and foremost, I have never been a regional director of anything in my life. And I don't even know if I want to be. Let alone have all the control, the power, the authority. See, when we use the term authority in our church, in our culture, I think it's smart if we, if we just do something. Let's replace the word authority with trust. Because when you have the trust, you don't have to wield the authority. See, people wield authority when they feel like they're going to lose control. That's what that is all about. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been called a name? George, you've been called a name before? Sandy, you've been called a name before? I can't tell you some of the names that I've been called before, especially when you work in a jail for seven years. I've heard some words, and I've heard some labels, and, and, and shame upon me, but I've even said a few myself, right? But I want us to be able to defend ourselves, and if not a defense, to give a reason to why the Church of God International, specifically, can never be considered a cult. We are not designed that way. We are not structured that way. Our leadership structure is a servant leadership. If you've ever looked at our structure, there's no one man that stands at the top. There's no one personality. On the armor of God, we have up to what now? Four presenters? There's not one. There's not one person, one face, one personality, one identity of which we can look at our organization and say, aha, that is the face of the organization. That is the one who is in charge and in control because it is a shared leadership. And that is a biblical perspective, something called shared leadership. You see, what the world doesn't understand is that we have some perspectives about who our leader really is. I have in front of me here a book, a book I've read over the years. It's, it's something I reference. It's, it's one of my go-to tools, my reference material, if you will, uh, when I'm studying topics like this. It's called Dictionary of Cults, Sects, S-E-C-T-S, Religions, <clears throat> and the Occult. Anybody seen this book before? 
Take a good look at it. It's along the same lines of a book that was written back in the 1960s, I believe it was, by the man by the name of Dr. Walter Martin. Kingdom of the Cults. Remember that book? Does it bother you that we're in this? You see, it's kind of a, a two-edged sword because on one hand, it bothers me that we're in this because it's not true. It's slander. On the other hand, you know, see, God has blessed me with, with I don't know if he's blessed me or cursed me, but the bottom line is I have never really cared what people think about me. You know, I want to be liked. Everybody wants to be liked, but, you know, if you don't like me, that's okay. We don't have to like each other. We can respect each other. But it just doesn't bother me that people say bad things about me. You see, on our website, another reason why this topic is so personal to me, most of you may not be aware of the fact that I have a twin brother, double ugly. Okay, Double ugly, poor mom and dad, you know. <laughs> it's funny, he doesn't look much like me. He's got this great big beard. He looks like, um, oh, what's the name of that TV program? Duck Dynasty. There you go. He looks like somebody from Duck Dynasty. So here a couple years back, Jeff, you're going to remember this, Jeff gave a sermon in which he listed some of the things that people say about us uh, on the armor of God and some of the negative comments that they make. I don't care about the negative comments because that's a part of Criticism, good or bad, it doesn't bother me. It makes us better or it hurts us. Bring it on. That's just the way it is. And uh, Jeff was reading a, an internet, I guess it was a post. I, I, that's the only way I can put it. I'm not very internet savvy. Matter of fact, I, I had to go without my journey today on the way up here because I don't know how to use the controls in the car that we rented. Like, I'm used to putting in a CD or a cassette tape, and I don't know how this new wireless stuff works. But he read this letter or this response on the website that said, stay away from this group. They're a cult, and the rest of it, the guy can't put two syllables enough together to make sense. But the, the, the bottom line was, stay away from this group. They're dangerous. They're a cult. Even Dr. Walter Martin says they're a cult. Does that make it true? Just because you say something about somebody or something does not make it true. It is slander, and you better have some good evidence to back it up. Doesn't God tell us not to do things like that, to slander people, to backbite and devour one another? Isn't there some scriptures that say that to us? Is it true? No, it's not true. Turn, I think I had you already turned to Colossians 1, and I want to show you why. This cannot be true. In Colossians 1, and we'll just read just a few short verses here down, uh, let's say 19, no, excuse me, 15 through 19. Now, I've got a new Bible. And my old Bible was a very familiar friend to me. I could just open up the pages, and I, do, I just didn't have to think about it. But this is a friend nonetheless, but it's not so familiar as my old one. So it might take me a couple minutes to, to get back and forth here. But, and I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, so it may not match exactly with what, what you're going to hear or read in your own Bible. But there's something important that we have to remember and the perspective that we have. In verse 15, I'll tell you what, these are some wonderful scriptures here because in this set of scriptures is one of the main reasons why people consider us a cult. Because it has to do with the very nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his pre-existent, uh, his role in creation, who he was from the beginning, the Word, the Logos, the spokesman. You see, people didn't know the Father in the Old Testament. They only knew Jesus Christ. He had to come to reveal the Father. And here we have this set of scriptures here, and people say, oh, no, 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 no. You guys are wacko. Don't you know that God is a trinity? <laughs> He's not, is he, Sandy? He's not a trinity. So in here, in these few short verses, there's so much nuggets, so many nuggets of information about Christ and who we are. And perhaps even more importantly, or just as importantly in that, is our perspective on leadership. 
Because when you become a cult, it has everything to do with your leadership structure. Well, not everything, but mostly. We can talk about theologically or sociologically how people want to break this down, but we read this here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by hell, oh, by the way, you're not born again. See, that's another reason why people think that we're a cult, because we don't believe that we're born again yet until we're actually resurrected. Jesus Christ is the only monogenes, the only resurrected, one of a kind. And yet, people want to say that we're a cult because we don't believe in you're born again now. No, you are in the embryonic stage, a developmental stage, that God is either going to bring to a new birth or we're going to abort ourselves. Think about that. I mean, that's, that's a true statement. He's either going to bring us to, to a birth or we're going to abort that process. We are not born again. We are starting that process. Jesus is the only monogenes, the Greek for the only one, the only begotten. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Who is the creator? Who was the one that said, let there be light? It was the one who became Jesus the Christ. And I make no apologies for saying that. Because that is scriptural. That is a scriptural statement to make. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. <coughs> and he is the head of the body. And now we're getting into to the real meat of the subject here. He is the head of the body. The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him that all the fullness should dwell. Who's your leader? Who's your mentor? Who is the head of the body? Oh, I stand before you here today as the guy who's on live stream right now and feeling the pressure, okay? <laughs> but I'm not your leader. I have a leadership position. I am not the head of the church. I am not the firstborn among many brethren. I am not the creator. Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus Christ is the firstborn. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body, our elder brother, the king and priest, the head of all things at the right hand of the Father, and no man can ever establish himself, rightfully so, in that position other than our Savior. Church of God, you know this. You see, this is the perspective that we have. This is the perspective that we have maintained. This is the perspective that has to be in the frontlets of our minds because if we don't have it, brethren, we lose sight of the importance of Jesus Christ, the significance of his life, death, burial, consequent resurrection, the significance of his advocacy for us now, and the significance of his soon return. How soon, I don't know. But see, this is what the world doesn't understand. The world doesn't get our perspective. See, we're identified with certain personalities down through history. Very charismatic personalities. Got nothing against them. That's not our identity. Herbert Armstrong did not come up with a new church movement. Ted Armstrong did not come up with anything new. 
Nobody that has stood in the position of this lectern, stood behind it, stood beside it, stood in front of it, walked down the aisles, uttered some utterances from their mouth out of the scriptures, did not invent this. Herbert Armstrong didn't invent the idea that God is not a trinity. Herbert Armstrong did not invent the idea that you don't possess immortality at this time. Herbert Armstrong didn't invent the idea of the Sabbath day or God's holy days. Who did? Our leader. The one whom we follow. You see, the walk that we walk is one of faith. It's a walk of belief. And if you follow anybody other than the risen Christ, you're going to walk this earth as a battered, beaten sheep. You will. Don't put trust in men. I'm not saying don't trust me. I'm not saying don't trust the ministry. I'm not saying let's take this position that oftentimes we see people take, that the ministry is something to be feared, something that's to look at with, with disdain and scorn. I, I've, I've heard it all. Well, I, I, I'm afraid to say that because I'm afraid I'll hear something new and it'll be something even worse. So I'll say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. The bottom line is our organization, our belief systems are firmly rooted in this foundation. And we never have to make an apology for that. You never have to make an apology for being here on the Sabbath day. Don't ever feel different because you keep the holy days. So we're coming out of winter. And everybody's keeping this thing called Christmas. And everybody's wanting to keep this thing called Hanukkah. I hope there's no Christians keeping Hanukkah. I see that all the time. Well, back in the book of John, it says that Jesus was there during the festival of lights. It doesn't mean he was keeping it, and I can prove that through the scriptures. Ever done a study on Hanukkah? It ain't Jewish. I can promise you that. There's a lot of history behind that, but I digress. Who's your leader, brethren? The word here, preeminence. The word preeminence, and George, you can correct me because I know you speak Greek fluently. I'm going to do my best not to butcher the Greek language. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> this will be evident that I do not have the gift of tongues. Okay? <clears throat> the word here is proteuo. What is that? Prothebon. 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 Yeah, what he said. Uh, <laughs> all you guys thought I was going to sit there and then try to pronounce it, didn't you? I'm not doing that. I'm not dumb. I've been in front of the camera before. I'm not going to, especially, I'm not going to embarrass myself that bad. Life. But the word means first in rank, first in file, and even better so, first in in influence. Who is your influence? I hope it's the same one who influences me. Now we have another guy in the, in the backdrop here that tries to influence us, not in a good way. But we turn to the one who is first in rank and file and influence in our lives because he is our leader. Psalms 146, if you would please. Another important perspective, and even at the sake or the risk of being a bit redundant, I think it's important sometimes that even though we know the Scriptures, that we turn to the Scriptures. You know, there's some churches that don't even take Bibles. They hand out this little tract with the Scriptures they're going to read today, and, they're going to t and they tell you what they mean. Well, here's another reason why we can't be a cult. I'm going to tell you something that I've heard from day one. And some of you, this is not a derogatory term, some of you old-timers, you might remember this. Don't believe me. Believe your Bible. I could be misleading you today. I wouldn't do so purposely, but I'm flesh. 
I'm, I'm, I'm blood and bones. I'm mainly carnal. I could make a mistake and not even realize it. Maybe two weeks down the road, think, why did I say that? You know? It's not purposeful, but sometimes people make mistakes. But here we go, the premise. Praise you the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, and whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to this earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. Physical leadership is temporal. I feel sorry, and I'm a little concerned, quite frankly, for churches out there in our culture who want to follow one man. Because their influence in the world, and maybe some of them, thankfully so, it's going to be very, very short. Because once the leader dies off, who's going to take over? That's the dangers of a one-man leadership. And there's more dangers than that as well. But you ever been disappointed by a man? Dave, anybody ever let you down? Well, life's full of disappointments, aren't they? Or is it? People in our lives have let us down. Broken trust, ruined bonds. It can be a disappointment. I want to acknowledge that. Even in the church, people have been let down sometimes by leadership. I'm sorry for that. I really am. But if you walk away from the truth, because your faith is in a person or a personality, a charismatic speaker, shame on you. Shame on you. And I'm not going to apologize for saying that either because if that happens, you've lost this perspective. And if what I'm saying makes you a little mad, then let it make you a little mad, but maybe it'll make you change a little bit. I know people to this day that still want to talk about, oh, the worldwide. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't really want to be sarcastic about this, but it's so ridiculous that we would let another man take our crown or to cause us to abort this rebirth, this, this born-again process because somebody let us down. Welcome to life. Wake up. Come out of your sleep. I've had people come to the Columbus Church before that were in the Worldwide Church of God way back when. We'll stay for a sermon, stay for a sermon or two, stay for a short duration, and then here it comes. Tony, I'm leaving. I know that sermon wasn't directed towards me. Just like Worldwide. Tony, I know you called Bill Watson, Wayne Hendricks, Tom Kaufung or whoever's visiting, I know you told them, so-and-so is sitting in the front row, let them have it. I want you to consider something from the perspective of a pastor. I want an easy life. I don't want turbulent waters just like you don't. So why would I cannonball into the pool, so to speak? It doesn't make sense because if I make a mess, I get to clean it up. You see, what I'm talking about today is something called a pejorative label. Does that, does that resonate? Because this is something that I didn't really have any inkling on before I started this research, but a pejorative label is this. It's a statement that is made that is used in the derogatory, in the slanderous, in defamation, and even, even just this, this really just kind of gets to me and it has to possess no truth to it whatsoever. That's a pejorative. So anytime we make a claim against somebody that's not true, we're pejoratively labeling people with something that they don't deserve, but <sighs> fallible mankind, consequences that come about. And, and you know what happens when we put people at, in a prominent position? We start to look to them as if they're the Messiah themselves. Or they start to believe it. 
We start to empower it. We start to let it grow and fester. There are people in our, our organizations, not this particular organization, but in our culture, that quite frankly have become cult leaders. David Pack. You wouldn't believe the atrocities he's committing against his congregation. And I'm not going to apologize for calling him out either because he's not ashamed of it, so why shouldn't I mention it? Taking people's money. All things in common. Oh, by the way, if you're married and you own a home and your wife doesn't believe, guess what? You can still go get that second mortgage on your home. Not her half, but your half. You know, send it in to me. Because we have all things in common. And when it comes time for God to lead us to Petra, you know he's going to tell me that, that we're leaving nobody else. I'm the one. I'm the chosen child. I'm the golden child. I'm thankful. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thankful that I belong to the organization that I do because it handles itself and the men involved in the leadership positions handle themselves with a perspective of integrity. They're not fleecing the sheep. They're not there standing there saying, oh, oh God is speaking to me right now. Uh, uh, Dave, you've got $20 in your pocket. God wants me to have that. Do you have 20 bucks in your pocket? <laughs> I really don't want it. I'm just kidding. I really don't want it. Men are fallible. And what happens to, to men when people start to build them up like that all of a sudden, they become a little bit unapproachable. You know how many times somebody will approach me and say, Tony, I don't agree with what you said in the sermon? I don't have bodyguards that wrestle them away. Or I don't send them away and scold them. I, you know what I say? Well, I'm really sorry. Uh, give me a chance to clarify, and hopefully I can correct this. Because that's what a leader does. If you say something wrong, you correct it. If somebody has to say something to you or wants to talk to you, you become, you be approachable. You be nice. We have a whole litany of examples down through history, brother, where these men have gotten out of control with their ego and power. That's why I often retort to people, you know, I, I'm a cult leader, what? I got all the power of the Columbus congregation. Whoa, we're really going to take over, aren't we? Really? Who wants all the power and control? I don't want it. When I walk into my congregation, I see 90-year-old Gene Kirk making the coffee. I'm thankful. When I see the other men that I've trained up to give sermons and I can sit down for a day, oh, I'm thankful. These men, some of them, they've lost their perspective on Colossians 1, verse 18, of whom our leader is. It is Jesus Christ. If you have a leader who has ingratiated himself or has been allowed to take a power, powerful position where he can't be questioned, pretty soon, I promise you, doctrinal changes will come. And it won't come through a council. It won't come through a council. It will come through that man's mouth through the power of his pen, whatever he wants you to believe, get you scared to leave. If you leave, something's going to happen to you. You're out of the body. Gerald Flurry. If you don't believe in me as your leader because I was ordained by Herbert Armstrong, who cares? Who cares who you were ordained by? That doesn't make you any better than anybody else. That doesn't give you some sort of special apostolic uh, succession that, that puts you in an automatic personal place of power. Did God have an apostle? I know people raising their eyebrows because you remember those days, right? Herbert Armstrong, God's apostle. Uh, 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 uh. No, let's back this tape up a little bit. God had one apostle. There was only one God's apostle, and that was Christ. Colossians 1, verse 18. 
Shame on us for even allowing that to happen. But the truth of the matter is, down through, through time, if you go back, 1960s, 1970s, as things began to change, Herbert got older, people began to influence him. Guess what? Our leadership structure, guess what it, guess what it looked like? It looked like a cult. It looked like a one-man band. It did. So let's not hide from that. Let's acknowledge it. I don't, I don't fear that. Because I know that's not what the Church of God International is. I know our leadership structure. I know whom our faith is fully founded in. So if any of these attributes are found in a church, you might just belong to a cult. Now I'm going to use a secular example of a pejorative and how people come to these conclusions and, 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 and how they defame somebody or something. And I'm going to disarm you a little bit here before I begin because I'm going to do my best to stay apolitical today. <laughs> I'm going to do my best, okay? That's why I asked Jeff and Steve back there on the live stream if they had a 10-second delay because I have foot-in-mouth syndrome and I want to be able to get that back before it goes out there. But this is live, so uh, hey, this is real. Here we go. <coughs> Back not too long ago, I don't read this particular magazine, but I know some people do, GQ, or I think it's called Gentleman's Quarterly Magazine, there was this article written, and we're, we're in a political season. Today, today's a new day in America, like it or not, it's a new day. The first time in eight years we're not underneath the Barack Obama regime, and I'll leave that where it is. Because if you know me, you know where I stand on that, okay? But here we go. This election and this whole election process, no matter what side of the table you're on, has taught me a lot about labels, about labeling people, about pejoratively saying things that aren't true. Let, let me give you just a few, if you will suffer me just for a second here. Anyone who voted for Donald Trump is a deplorable. Huh. Okay. Everyone? Do you realize that when you use the word all the time, everyone, always, never, somewhere in there, there's a lie? You ever, you ever heard the, the term never say the word never? Because you're going to come across an exception every now and then. So try to get those words out of our mouth unless it's never say never, right? If you or anyone voted for Donald Trump, you're a bigot. Now, I know some of you in this room voted for Donald Trump, but I've known you for many years, and I know you're not bigots. I know that. I, I, now, that, that is an anecdotal piece of evidence, and people don't have to believe that if they don't want to, but I know people in the, in the Medina, Ohio congregation, the Columbus congregation, Toledo congregation, all the congregations I've been to, they are not bigots. They're not bigots. I haven't seen it. Well, I should say I saw one case with a man in Columbus years ago who um, referred to uh, 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 a minister in our, our congregation, not our congregation, but in our culture as a, um, in a derogatory term, and he didn't stay long. So, you know, again, there's always exceptions. He's the exception, right? If you voted for Donald Trump, you're uncaring. You're unloving. You're unkind. You're intolerant. You're a sexist. You're a homophobe. You're an Islamophobe. You're an angry white man. I'm filtering. I'm filtering right now, so give me a second here. 
No foot and mouth today. Live stream, no foot and mouth, Tony. Okay. <clears throat> you know, there's been studies done on Trump supporters and the things that they pejoratively have labeled Trump supporters, all those things I just said. You know, they, through the studies, they found that not to be true. Imagine that. Oh, shock. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. Let's just say I don't believe in abortions and homosexual marriage. Okay? So let's stick to the issues. I'll, stick away, I'll stay away from the political sides. Let's just stick to the issues. But in this gentleman's quarterly magazine, and, and forgive me because I don't remember the author's name. I kind of saw this last minute and put it into my, into my sermon. <coughs> Let me get a little drink of water here before I go to the rest of this. One of the most foremost, I should say, leaders and experts in cults in this country came up with a new term, Trumpism. So if you belong to the political party or you voted for Trump, did you know that you're in a cult called Trumpism? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the word cult, I think, thank you, Hollywood, but when I think of the term cult, this is what I think of. People in these cloaks, these hooded, hooded, donning these hooded robes with these candles and, and, a, and, a, and a fire pit and perhaps a sacrificial table and all these people circling this one leader. Mm, mm. To me, that's a cult. That's the image that, that comes out into my mind, out of my mind when I think about that. Okay? So my, my point is, uh, people that have been labeled by this, this pejorative label of, of Trumpism, that's just a way to slander, defame, discredit, uh, put labels on people. I've never seen more hate in our country, I don't think, since back in the 1990s. Back during the days when I was at the sheriff's office, we had the, remember the Rodney King riots and all that. I have never seen more examples of hate in our country over politics in my life. You see, there's two things that will divide families, politics and religion. Right? I watched this gala, or the beginning of this gala yesterday, in which these people were walking into this ball, and people that they erroneously call protesters, rioters, are throwing water on women wearing these beautiful gowns, men in their tuxedos, just enjoying a night out, celebrating and they're a victim of a simple assault because they're going to a ball? I have to stop back and think, where do I live now? You know, we want to celebrate in our country perhaps the best example of a peaceful transition of power that has ever been displayed in the world. We haven't seen it in eight years. What a wonderful thing. We have people that want to shut that down in Angie's school. I want to show you how this pejorative label works. Angie has a bunch of kids in her class that speak English as a second language. So she has a specialist that comes into her room to teach the kids because she speaks, you know, a couple different languages and stuff. So Angie was going to show the inauguration. Not the whole thing, obviously. It's a big thing. Just the swearing-in ceremony. That's all she was going to show. Teacher walks in. Hey, Angie, are you, are you showing the inauguration today? Oh, yeah, part of it, right? Well, I just want all the kids to know if you're scared and fearful over this, you can leave and come with me. Isn't that instilling fear in people? And then took another step and texted the parents of the children and tell them to pull them out of Angie's class because Angie's showing something that she shouldn't be showing. Well, as a husband, oftentimes, I have to restrain myself because I'm saying, you want me to come? I'll sit with you. I'll come up there and sit with you, Angie. I'll, just, I'll sit right there by your desk. When there's teacher conference nights, I'll sit right there. She's like, tell me, no, 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 no. I was on Facebook last night. Teachers at this school. And Angie's like, did you take that down right now? I work with those people. See, I just, like, I just want to, I like to push back. I don't like to sit there and take things like that. I don't like these pejorative labels. 
I don't like the things that people say. And I'm not talking about one, one party against the other. I'm not talking about me not being apolitical, because I'm sure someone's going to accuse me of that. But the bottom line is, but the bottom line is over eight years of an administration that has promoted abortions, homosexual marriage, all these different debaucheries and filthiness and all these things that we never thought we would see in our country, trying to social engineer change in our world. Rick, did you get arrested for rioting? Any conservative get in here get arrested for rioting? Anybody go push over police cars and throw rocks at police and throw smoke grenades at them? And did anybody do that? I didn't see anybody do that from the other side. I didn't see that. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But really, the term cult has taken a very, very different turn over the last few decades. You see, back in the day, if you wanted to define the word cult, you know what it simply meant? It meant a small group of people that had a certain ideology, a certain mindset, a certain belief, had a common goal. That was called a cult. Some of you guys may remember the Beatles. They had a cult following. Still do. Elvis Presley, my favorite, still has a cult. You know, Elvis Presley makes more money now than he did when he was alive, but I'll just, I'll leave that alone. Um, but it just simply meant if, if you belong to a group with a, with, a, with, a, with a familiar goal, that was called a cult. So by definition, any church in America, any political group, can rightfully by that non-pejorative be called a cult because there's nothing derogatory, defamatory, nothing that's untrue about that statement. I don't have a problem with that because that is benign. That doesn't do anything to deface Christ. So I don't have a problem with that. Here's what the term cult has become associated though for our culture over the decades and this is where I've got a big problem with it. A cult to us or as it has been labeled upon us is a small group who is dangerous and extreme in their beliefs because they don't believe like Orthodox or the majority of Christianity. So what I said earlier about because you're here on the Sabbath day, because you don't keep Easter, you don't keep Christmas, hopefully you don't keep Hanukkah, you're a cult. And you're to be looked upon as dangerous and extreme. Brethren, I can't even step on an ant and not feel bad. When I see my kids smash a spider, I'm like, oh, it was a living thing. Why did you do that? You know, I throw it outside. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. They're beasts of burdens. I get it. I understand that. But the bottom line is, I mean, we're not dangerous. You want to talk about a dangerous cult? Islam. Not sorry for that either. You know, right now in our union, there are five states. In these grand United States, right now as I speak, there are five states that have Islamic compounds on them that are doing military training, suicide training. One's in Michigan, what's the other one? Tennessee. And what they're doing is they're setting up these compounds in towns that have four or five police officers so they, there can be no resistance. <laughs> when are we going to stop being politically correct? When are we going to wake up and see that the only thing that's going to change our circumstance is to do the things that God said to do and get back to a spiritual belief in Judeo-Christian ethics and, and, and background? If we don't see Deuteronomy chapter 28, the curses coming upon us, we are blind and we've got our heads buried in the sand like an ostrich because it's coming. But I digress. There are some people who have been labeled non-pejoratively as a cult. Here's one. Charles Manson. He's a wacko. You ever seen him on TV? 
I think when you see him on an interview, you're looking in the soul of Satan himself. How did he get his start? Humble little cult with a group of prostitutes. After the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination, knew there was going to be race wars. God was telling him that. Also found there was messages coming through his, uh, his record player, the Beatles song, Helter Skelter, was telling him to start a race war. Sharon Tate and her friends were slaughtered, and the people gave him the power. Label earned. Here's another one. I don't speak Japanese either, so forgive me. Aum Shinrikyo, 1995, Japan, a subway. Released sarin gas. Hurt a lot of people. Started out as a yoga instructor, teaching people yoga. Then he wanted to work on his charisma and his speaking. They gave him more power. People that tried to leave were murdered. I tell you what, there's, I tell you there's one reason why the church in Columbus can never be considered a cult, because I got more people that leave than come in. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, and I don't chase them down and grab them and lock them up and say, you're not leaving or else. I say, okay, see you later. The Branch Davidians, and this is where it gets bad for us. Not, not, not really, but this is where people try to make it bad for us. David Koresh, Waco, Texas, not too far from Tyler, a Sabbath keeper of the Branch Davidians. Remember him? The FBI raid that caught the compound on fire? Well, you know, he be, what did he do? He began to isolate people from their families put them in a compound, take the power, take their money. Yeah. And began to say that he was the Messiah. Label learned? I would say so. I would say so. How about the famous Johnstown? Or Jonestown? Guyana? It is sickening to see and to watch those newsreels from back then when all that happened. Started out in Indianapolis, Indiana, small-time preacher, you know, people's temple, just teaching, holding little Bible studies, but then he began to say, God's speaking to me. I'm your leader. You know what? America is just too... Too much of a cesspool. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Not so wrong about that. But let's move somewhere like Guyana. Let's get away. Cut off all ties from your family. If anybody starts doing that, run from that organization. Run from it. Get away from them. Do whatever you have to do. But does it matter what people say about us? Well... It matters in the sense that it's slander, it's derogatory, it's not true, it's a pejorative. But you know, Christ tells us something about people that would say things like that about us. You know, one thing that we have, we have a statement of beliefs that they're online, you can read them. We have open door policy. We don't have one leader, we don't have one personality. Uh, We have full disclosure, whatever you want to know, just ask. If you want to leave, hey, the door swings both ways, come and go as you please. We're not going to send the Sabbath police after you. I've never seen that done. If I did, I would, I would not be happy about it. Because people need that free moral agency. That's their decision. That's not my decision. <coughs> Over here in Matthew chapter 5, we need to remember something. Because when I saw these things written about me on the internet from a family member, no less, it was quite hurtful. I want to acknowledge that. That's hurtful. From somebody who you grew up with, who knew you from childhood, to slander you. But I'm over it. I'm over it because I have, I have a job to do. But, and here in Matthew chapter 5, 
and the Beatitudes here. And for time's sake, I'm just going to read a couple, couple of verses because i got some other things I want to get to. <coughs> In verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you pejoratively for my sake or falsely. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Welcome to common territory, brethren. The original Christians weren't looked upon with favor. It took some time for them to, to, to be accepted by, by the Romans, so that the Romans finally figured out that they weren't a threat to Rome. But in the beginning, it wasn't so. Paul was even accused of burning Rome. Remember that? He didn't do that. There's even scriptures that Paul wrote that might even allude to the fact that he was wrongfully accused and imprisoned because of that accusation. A pejorative. We don't need to be ashamed of what we believe or who we follow. You see, because Orthodox Christianity says it, doesn't make it true. You see, I have a book here called The History of Religion Through Each 100 Years by Duggar and Dodd. Anybody ever seen this book before? Herbert Armstrong was one man, listed amongst many, many, many others down since 33 A.D., that have taught the same things that Herbert Armstrong taught. He is not the originator of a new movement. We do not follow a cult leader. We're not part of a new world religion like people want to associate us with. No, this is old school, brethren. See, Orthodox Christianity are hypocrites. They are hypocrites. They follow one called the vicar of Christ. You remember what that means, the vicar? One who stands in place of Christ as your mediator and the one who's going to make decisions for your life. All those changes to Christianity, from the Sabbath day to Sunday, from the Passover to Easter, to all these things that we see, from the belief that God is a family to a trinity, 325 A.D. Oh, there were undertones before 325. Don't get me wrong, because I can prove to you through another book the undertones were there. I can also prove to you that 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea, you guys remember that, the Council of Nicaea? Do you remember what, the major reason why the Council of Nicaea was called in, in, in the beginning to begin with? Why did they call the Council of Nicaea? Because of one of us. He had different ideas about the nature of Christ, so I'm not saying there's not differences. But because of one of us, relatively speaking, the Council of Nicaea was convened in 325 AD. Let me read you something here. Let me give you a name in history. <clears throat> Dr. Arius, the most talented intellectual and spiritual power of the 4th century, was the central figure against which the evil and polluted minds of Western Roman bishops were directed. So they're saying he's the target of their inquiry. Okay? He was indeed a man of God, in whom the truth uh, found his most uh, consecrated and able defender. I'm trying to read through, this was a gift through someone's underscores and circles, and sometimes it gets into the words, so I'm trying to figure out what it's saying. Like the Apostle Paul, he traversed then the known world, propagating truth and denouncing error. He was a staunch observer of the seventh-day Sabbath. Dr. Arius was. He held the Lord's Supper once a year on the 14th Abib, as did all the Jewish Christians and the most of the members and bishops of the Eastern churches. One of us. He believed in the one God and Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, and contended that the Holy Spirit was a power sent forth from God. The power, the influence. Did Herbert Armstrong teach that? Oh, absolutely. Did he invent it? No. No, he did not. Entering into the hearts and the lives of Christians, that being the Holy Spirit, transforming them into servants of God, of which he himself was a living example, a quattro deciman. You're quattro decimans. 
You are 14thers. You are Seventh-day Sabbath observers. You are therefore associated with and tied with, spiritually linked to Dr. Arius, of which the Council of Nicaea was convened to pejoratively label. And they got their way. He was exiled. All of his works were burnt. Everything that he put together on words, pen, and paper, they threw into a fire and considered it rubbish. Orthodox Christianity. And there's a lot of good people in Orthodox Christianity, so I'm not going to, to belittle the people. But you've heard the saying, oh, that's just not Orthodox. So the label for us, the pejorative label is, we're not Orthodox Christianity. So since we're not Orthodox Christianity, and because of the past associations, you are now a cult. There is no bigger cult than Orthodox Christianity. There is no higher example of abuse of power and control over the people than that of Papa or Pope as the vicar of Christ. There is no poor example of church leadership in the world. And the rest of the churches, i got to tell you, while they're busy accusing us of being a cult, they need to really understand what they're talking about because when you walk into a church building, oftentimes the first thing you'll notice are the pictures on the wall. According to Mr. Alexander Strauch, who was one of my sages in the ministry, you go into a a Sunday observing church, good people, great, I got no problem with the people. But then you look at the pictures on the wall, and at the top, pastor. Then below that, down a level, minister, minister, uh, usher, this and that. Down below them, coffee maker. You see what I mean? It's, it's, it's a pyramid where there's one personality as the top and the leader. So the term cult by the definition of leadership and how it's associated with the word cult, the majority of the churches of the world can be defined that way. We cannot be. I want to assure everybody who is in this room, who is watching this live, or will hear this some other time maybe, that you do not belong to a cult. Our very leadership structure does not allow for that label to be used non-pejoratively. It has to be used in a slanderous way in order to justify the label. Sociologically, we don't tell people to leave their families. I tell people, yeah, make amends. Stay in contact. Talk to your mom and dad. Talk to your cousins. Don't, don't, don't cut connections. You know, not because I'm afraid to be labeled a cult leader, but because it's not good for relationships, and God doesn't want that anyways. He doesn't want to see people split up. That's just responsible. That's just the way to do it. We're not telling people to move to compounds. We're not doing that. This pejorative label, Orthodox Christianity, they're the ones who changed. They're the ones who identify and associate with doctrines that aren't true. In the beginning, the church of God, and I'm glad to say that now we still do, observe the same thing that Jesus Christ taught. Therefore, he's telling us, you know, don't, don't worry about what people tell you or what they say about you. We do not believe, nor do we follow, anything remotely resembling this thing called Armstrongism as we've been labeled. No, we believe in Christianity. We believe in the way. Not in, mist, not in uh, Armstrongism. Well, brethren, there's so many, so many different things that we could go over, but I know my time is short. I know Angie's got the time here, and I'm at an hour. But I want to just leave you with this. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep believing what you believe. Keep your faith and your trust in our leader, 
Jesus Christ, 1 Colossians and verse 18. Don't worry about what people call you. Don't worry about what they say. Slander is just a commonplace in our society, unfortunately, and the church of God has always suffered that way from the beginning. We are not a cult. We have never been a cult. Our leadership structure cannot allow us to be one, and anybody that says otherwise is simply associating with us and putting on us just another pejorative label, and that's all it is.